Welcome to Daily Airs. You are listening to a recording provided for the use of the blind and print impaired. Materials or items read on Airs LA are the copyright property of the original authors and publishers. No unauthorized use or duplication is permitted. There's something new on Airs LA every day. I'm your host, Annette Groh, and every Monday, I review varying events that happen during This Week in History, brought to you from A&E Networks, The History Channel, and History.com. September 19. On this date in history, in the year 1893, New Zealand is the first in women's vote. With the signing of the Electoral Bill by Governor Lord Glasgow, New Zealand becomes the first country in the world to grant national voting rights to women. The bill was the outcome of years of suffragette meetings in towns and cities across the country, with women often traveling considerable distances to hear lectures and speeches, pass resolutions, and sign petitions. New Zealand women first went to the polls in the national elections of November 1893. The United States granted women the right to vote in 1920, and Great Britain guaranteed full voting rights for women in 1928. September 20. On this date in history in the year 1963, Kennedy proposes a joint mission to the moon. An optimistic and upbeat President John F. Kennedy suggests that the Soviet Union and the United States cooperate on a mission to mount an expedition to the moon. The proposal caught both the Soviets and many Americans off guard. In 1961, shortly after his election as president, John F. Kennedy announced that he was determined to win the space race with the Soviets. Since 1957, when the Soviet Union sent a small satellite Sputnik into orbit around the Earth, Russian and American scientists have been competing to see who could make the next breakthrough in space travel. Outer space became another frontier in the Cold War. Kennedy upped the ante in 1961 when he announced that the United States would put a man on the moon before the end of the decade. Much had changed by 1963, however. Relations with the Soviet Union had improved measurably. The Cuban Missile Crisis of October 1962 had been settled peacefully. A hotline had been established between Washington and Moscow to help avert conflict and misunderstandings. A treaty banning the open-air testing of nuclear weapons had been signed in 1963. On the other hand, U.S. fascination with the space program was waning. Opponents of the program cited the high cost of the proposed trip to the moon, estimated at more than $20 billion. In the midst of all this, Kennedy, in a speech at the United Nations, proposed that the Soviet Union and the United States cooperate in mounting a mission to the moon. Why, he asked the audience, therefore should man's first flight to the moon be a matter of national competition, Kennedy noted. The clouds have lifted a little, in terms of U.S.-Soviet relations, and declared the Soviet Union and the United States together with their allies can achieve further agreements agreements which spring from our mutual interest in avoiding mutual destruction. Soviet Foreign Minister Andrei Gromyko applauded Kennedy's speech and called it a good sign, but refused to comment on the proposal for a joint trip to the moon. In Washington, there was a good bit of surprise and some skepticism about Kennedy's proposal. The space race, 
had been one of the focal points of the Kennedy administration when it came to office, and the idea that America would cooperate with the Soviets in sending a man to the moon seemed unbelievable. Other commentators saw economics, not politics, behind the proposal. With the soaring price tag for the lunar mission, perhaps a joint effort with the Soviets was the only way to save the costly program. What might have come of Kennedy's idea is unknown. Just two months later, he was assassinated in Dallas, Texas. His successor, Lyndon B. Johnson, abandoned the idea of cooperating with the Soviets, but pushed ahead with the lunar program. In 1969, the United States landed a man on the moon, thus winning a significant victory, the space race. September 21. On this date in history, in the year 1780, Benedict Arnold commits treason. During the American Revolution, American General Benedict Arnold meets with British Mayor John Andre to discuss handing over West Point to the British in return for the promise of a large sum of money and a high position in the British Army. The plot was foiled and Arnold, a former American hero, became synonymous with the word traitor. Arnold was born into a well-respected family in Norwich, Connecticut. On January 14, 1741, he apprenticed with an apothecary and was a member of the militia during the French and Indian War. He later became a successful trader and joined the Continental Army when the Revolutionary War broke out between Great Britain and its 13 American colonies in 1775. When the war ended in 1783, the colonies had won their independence from Britain and formed a new nation, the United States. During the war, Benedict Arnold proved himself a brave and skillful leader, helping Ethan Allen's troops capture Fort Ticonderoga in 1775 and then participating in the unsuccessful attack on British Quebec later that year, which earned him a promotion to Brigadier General. Arnold distinguished himself in campaigns at Lake Champlain, Ridgefield, and Saratoga and gained the support of George Washington. However, Arnold had enemies within the military, and in 1777, five men of lesser rank were promoted over him. Over the course of the next few years, Arnold married for a second time, and he and his new wife lived a lavish lifestyle in Philadelphia, accumulating substantial debt. The debt and the resentment Arnold felt over not being promoted faster were motivating factors in his choice to become a turncoat. In 1780, Arnold was given command of West Point, an American fort on the Hudson River in New York, and future home of the U.S. Military Academy established in 1802. Arnold contacted Sir Henry Clinton, head of the British forces, and proposed handing over West Point and his men. On September 21 of that year, Arnold met with Major John Andre and made his traitorous pack. However, the conspiracy was uncovered and Andre was captured and executed. Arnold, the former American patriot, fled to the enemy side and went on to lead British troops in Virginia and Connecticut. He later moved to England, though he never received all of what he'd been promised by the British. He died in London on June 14, 1801. September 22, On this date in history, in the year 1953, the famous four-level opens in Los Angeles. The first four-level, or stack, interchange in the world opens in Los Angeles, California at the intersection of the Harbor, Hollywood, Pasadena, and Santa Ana freeways. 
It was, as the Saturday Evening Post wrote, a mad motorist's dream. 32 lanes of traffic weaving in eight directions at once. Today, although the four-level is justly celebrated as a civil engineering landmark, the interchange is complicated, frequently congested, and sometimes downright terrifying. As its detractors are fond of pointing out, it's probably no coincidence that this highway octopus straddles not only a fetid sulfur spring, but also a former site of the town's gallows. Before the L.A. four-level was built, American highway interchanges typically took the form of a cloverleaf, with four circular ramps designed to let motorists merge from one road to another without braking. But cloverleafs were dangerous, because people merging onto the highway and people merging off the highway had to jockey for space in the same lane. Four-level interchanges, by contrast, eliminate this looping cross-traffic by stacking long arcs and straightaways on top of one another. As a result, each of their merges only goes in one direction, which means, at least in theory, that they are safer and more efficient. When the iconic Hollywood Harbor Pasadena Santa Ana 4 level was born, it was the most expensive half-mile of highway in the world, costing $5.5 million to build. Today, highway engineers estimate $5.5 million would pay for just 250 feet of urban freeway. Road builders disemboweled an entire neighborhood, 4,000 people lost their homes, and excavated most of the hill it stood on, dumping rubble in the nearby Chavez Ravine where Dodger Stadium stands today. Though its design has inspired dozens of freeway interchanges across the United States, many Angelinos dread their encounters with this four-level. It's as crowded, 500,000 drivers use it every day, stressful and treacherous as the clover leaves of yesteryear. Still, it is an indispensable part of the fabric of the mythology of Los Angeles. September 23. On this date in history, in the year 1944, FDR defends his dog in a speech. During a campaign dinner with the International Brotherhood of Teamsters Union, President Franklin D. Roosevelt makes a reference to his small dog, Fala, who had recently been the subject of a Republican political attack. The offense prompted Roosevelt to defend his dog's honor and his own reputation. After addressing pertinent labor issues and America's status in World War II, Roosevelt explained that Republican critics had circulated a story claiming that Roosevelt had accidentally left Fala behind while visiting the Aleutian Islands earlier that year. They went on to accuse the president of sending a Navy destroyer at a taxpayer's expense of up to $20 million to go back and pick up the dog. Roosevelt said that though he and his family had suffered malicious falsehoods in the past, he claimed the right to object to libelous statements about my dog. Roosevelt went on to say that the desperate Republican opposition knew it could not win the upcoming presidential election and used Fala as an excuse to attack the president. He half-jokingly declared that his critics sullied the reputation of a defenseless dog just to distract Americans from more pressing issues facing the country. Roosevelt was indeed attached to his dog. Fala, a small, black Scottish terrier, accompanied Roosevelt almost everywhere, to the Oval Office, on an official state visit, and on long overseas trips, including one to Newfoundland in 1941, during which Fala met British Prime Minister Winston Churchill. Roosevelt's cousin, Margaret Stuckley, had given Fala to the president in 1940 when Fala was still a puppy. 
Although Eleanor Roosevelt disapproved of having a dog in the White House, Roosevelt adamantly kept the dog by his side. Fala slept at the foot of the master's bed and only the president had the authority to feed him. The White House kitchen staff sent up a bone for Fala every morning with Roosevelt's breakfast tray. After FDR's death, Fala lived with Eleanor, and when the dog died in 1952 at the age of 12, he was buried near the president at his family home in Hyde Park, New York. September 24. On this date in history, in the year 1902, Fanny Farmer opens a cooking school. According to newspaper reporting at the time, on September 24, 1902, pioneering cookbook author Fanny Farmer, who changed the way Americans prepare food by advocating the use of standardized measurements in recipes, opens Miss Farmer's School of Cookery in Boston. In addition to teaching women about cooking, Farmer later educated medical professionals about the importance of proper nutrition for the sick. Farmer was born March 23, 1857, and raised near Boston, Massachusetts. Her family believed in education for women, and Farmer attended Medford High School. However, as a teenager, she suffered a paralytic stroke that turned her into a homebound invalid for a period of years. As a result, she was unable to complete high school or attend college, and her illness left her with a permanent limp. When she was in her early 30s, Farmer attended the Boston Cooking School. Founded in 1879, the school prompted a scientific approach to food preparation and trained women to become cooking teachers at a time when their employment opportunities were limited. Farmer graduated from the program in 1889 and in 1891 became the school's principal. In 1896, she published her first cookbook, The Boston Cooking School Cookbook, which included a wide range of straightforward recipes along with information on cooking and sanitation techniques, household management, and nutrition. Farmer's book became a bestseller and revolutionized American cooking through its use of precise measurements, a novel culinary concept at the time. In 1902, Farmer left the Boston Cooking School and founded Miss Farmer's School of Cookery. Classes began that fall. In addition to running her school, she traveled to speaking engagements around the U.S. and continued to write cookbooks. In 1904, she published Food and Cookery for the Sick and Convalescent, which provided food recommendations for specific diseases, nutritional information for children, and information about the digestive system, among other topics. Farmers' expertise in the areas of nutrition and illness led her to lecture at Harvard Medical School. Farmer died January 15, 1915, at age 57. After Farmer's death, Alice Bradley, who taught at Miss Farmer's School of Cookery, took over the business and ran it until the mid-1940s. The Fanny Farmer Cookbook is still in print today. September 25. On this date in history, in the year 1775, Ethan Allen is captured. After aborting a poorly planned and ill-timed attack on the British-controlled city of Montreal, Continental Army Colonel Ethan Allen is captured by the British on September 25, 1775. After being identified as an officer of the Continental Army, Allen was taken prisoner and sent to England to be executed. Although Allen ultimately escaped execution because the British government feared reprisals from the American colonies, 
He was imprisoned in England for more than two years until being returned to the United States on May 6, 1778, as part of a prisoner exchange. Allen then returned to Vermont and was given the rank of Major General in the Vermont Militia. In 1777, Vermonters had formally declared their independence from Britain and their fellow colonies when they created the Republic of Vermont. Forever loyal to the colony he founded, Allen spent the rest of his life petitioning the Continental Congress to grant statehood to Vermont. After the war concluded, the independent Vermont could not join the new republic as a state because New York, Massachusetts, and Connecticut all claimed the territory as their own. In response, frustrated Vermonters, including Allen, went so far as to negotiate with the Canadian government, Frederick Haldimand, about possibly rejoining the British Empire. Ethan Allen died on his farm along the Winooski River in the still-independent Republic of Vermont on February 12, 1789, at the age of 51. Two years after his death, Vermont was officially admitted to the Union and declared the 14th state of the United States. And that wraps up our This Week in History podcast for September 19 through September 25. If you'd like to learn more about Airs LA, including streaming audio podcasts and more, we invite you to visit us on social media platforms. This podcast is for the sole use of our blind and print-impaired audience. Any unauthorized use is prohibited. I'm Annette Rowe, and I'll return next week to bring you more events that happen during Next Week in History. Until then, thanks for listening.